Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Ocean Protect Podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. One of the problems, and it isn't just Stormwater New South Wales, but it's also other organisations like the Sydney Institute of Marine Science. We've got these little organisations looking at their little bit, but by ourselves, we're all just little voices and nobody cares. It's time for us to start working together on these common problems and come together as communities of practice. And surprisingly, the first two I went out to, or we went out to, signed up straight away. But, uh, you know, we've got to get some more, and time's always hard when you're you know, you're a member of the Stormwater New South Wales Committee, it's a volunteer thing. You've got, other, you've got jobs and families to worry about, but that's what we need to do. We catch up a lot, and, and it is a voluntary thing, and Brad, um, Stormwater Queensland, Stormwater Victoria, Stormwater South Australia, I think there's even a Stormwater WA, full of voluntary people that are out, champions uh, are fighting for it. Just like I say, if you're part of a community group, whether it's the Parramatta group or, or a riparian generation group or you're into, you know, you're part of a, um, I don't know, a rowing group that likes to use the, the river. Get in touch with us and jo- uh, sign up at MOU and we'll talk to you about it and we'll work together. There's no cost. We're just trying to create a place where we can all come together and talk about common problems from different perspectives. We had a really, really interesting chat with Tim Silverwood uh, and, 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 and we've, we've spoken a lot about this on the show actually is there's so many great organisations out there that are insular especially in the non-for-profit area, because they're all fighting. Well, not fighting, but they're trying to get that dollar from those people. And there's and it's great organisations. And I sort of agree with you. It, it, it's admitting that, hey, we're not the be on or end or putting your hand up and going, hey, there's power in the people. And if organisations can do that but bring the public along for the ride and get that public going, I think we've got a chance because, yeah, I agree, we're too insular. Yeah, I mean... We're uh, doing a webinar on the 15th and 22nd of July with uh, the UNSW. So it's a start. And we're talking to the industry and actually going to the industry and saying, well, what are the problems that we're facing with not just the maintenance of these stormwater control measures but, you know, sustainable stormwater management generally. And we're trying to reach people beyond the usual suspects. We still want the usual suspects there. They do matter. But we're trying to reach out and get opinions from people just a bit beyond that. Try and work out what the hell, because everybody wants clean waterways and beaches. They really do. Why? Why are we having such trouble getting it done? I, I think a key thing is just we haven't. Number one, we haven't told our story at all very well. No. Uh, and like for example, Storm of New South Wales. What do they do? You know, Ocean, Ocean Protect used to be called Storm of Three Sixty. What? What? What does Storm of Three Sixty do? What do they lay pipe? You know, how boring is that? 
all of a sudden we rebrand to Ocean Protect and all of a sudden we're like, Ocean Protect, hey, that's so cool. Hey, yeah. 360 wasn't bad. <laughs> but again, it's, it's not telling a story. No, no, I agree. I agree. So, you know, like yeah, Stormy New South Wales, as a, as a, a listener of the show or, or, or on the podcast uh, in Medium, I, I listen, to, listen to you guys talk about being on the Stormy New South Wales committee. It doesn't appeal, if I'm honest. I remember before I joined the Storm of Queensland committee, I thought the same thing. Be like, how boring is that? We <laughs> we do need to tell our story better. We do. Also, we do need to have that story in different mediums to what we've done previously. Like previously, we relied on emails and newsletters to our members who already know the story and and uh, conferences. Again, it's preaching to the choir. We need to do stuff like this podcast where people can reach and, and listen to their story. Uh, like the, the feedback I get from our listeners, and and to us, for for Jeremy and myself, two guys who never done podcasting before, and to be honest, are Z-list celebrities at best. We have a massive audience. We get hundreds of people tuning into our show every week. I think generally we get about five hundred, five or six hundred uh, tuning in every week to hear Jeremy and myself talk about. Uh, ocean protection related issues with a key focus on stormwater and the feedback i get from so many people is that and these are people who really genuinely care about the environment uh, and are really passionate about waterways they're like i had no idea about stormwater until i listened to your show and now i walk around and i see the rubbish on the road everywhere and i'm and i'm thinking oh, this is just going to wash drain to our waterways i've got to pick it up i, I can't be littering i've got to reduce my single-use plastics, I'm going to ask my local council what they do about maintaining their storm retreatment assets. Yeah. yeah. It's about telling the story. But obviously Ocean Protect can't do it on our own. We no. do need others. There's another big problem that we face with um, in, in, in New South Wales, certainly, and it's a little bit of the case, but it's got a little bit better in Victoria recently as they changed. They did something very interesting with some legislation. But in New South Wales, nobody owns the water. Nobody's responsible for the waterway. Mm. There is actually... People say, oh, is it at the EPA? No, they're not actually uh, responsible for the waterways per se. They're responsible for maybe what goes into it, but usually they only focus on industry-level stuff, not, not the stormwater that comes off the street. Mm. There is no one entity that's actually got responsibility for the protection of our waterways. They're essentially unprotected. And that sounds, and that might surprise a few people, and I might get some challenge on that, but I'd love to be proved wrong, but it's the case. In Victoria... For the first time ever, in 2017, they uh, enacted a legislation for the Yarra River. It's called the Yarra River Act. And it's the first one in Australia, believe it or not. The first one. There are no other acts that cover any other major river system in Australia. Not the Darling, not the Murray, none of it. Sorry, an act to do what? To um, protect the cultural heritage of the Yarra River, but also its health. So it's the health of the river as well. So but there's no other act for any other waterway in Australia no. to appropriately protect this. Oh, come on, mate. You're oh. telling porkies. Go, go crazy. Google the shit out of it. So what, what does that really? mean? What, there what is, is that? no – the river – the Yarra River Act is the only act for a given river. The Lake Illawarra – there is a lake – the Lake Illawarra, but it's not a river. It has an act that covers it. Um, and created the Lake Illawarra Authority, which may be defunct now. But hold on, there's some big other waterways we've got to cover here. They don't have an act. They've got what an agreement. No, there's nothing. So hang on, what what does that act entitle? Like, if I'm the the Yarra River, what yeah. does that mean if I've got an act as opposed to the Brisbane River, which doesn't have an act? Okay. So there's no specific legislation that clearly states, for example, in the Yarra River, it clearly states that. The, you know, the, the health of the waterway must be protected. 
But there's still some issues around that because to get the bill through, it could only be for the river itself and a certain number of metres onto the shoreline and the tributaries and the catchment aren't included in the Act. But that's apparently going to be covered by a strategy and there may be someone in Victoria who says, oh, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's fine. But my understanding is that. And, yeah, it's the only one. So there are acts about environmental protection and stuff, but they're very high level, they're ambiguous, and there's nothing that actually, there's no state or federal body that looks after waterways directly, at least in New South Wales, and I suspect anywhere else in Australia. There is the Murray River. What is that? Is that an agreement? We might have to save the Murray-Darling conversation for another time, but I'm We've, we've gone through two of these questions, so we've established, okay, it sounds like a very significant proportion of uh, storm-retriven assets are under-maintained. Yes. So, and to be honest, I think you were being very generous with the terminology you were being used. Basically, the vast, I, I, I'd argue that, I'd, I'd use the terminology, the vast majority of storm-retriven assets get no maintenance whatsoever. So as a result, hazardous waste is regularly discharged into our environment. Number two, why don't they get maintained? It's a combination of uh, things, but, yeah, I, I guess lack of visibility, the lack of resources and lack of understanding of these issues. So that, that, that's the first two questions of this PhD. We haven't even touched on the third one, which you said was actually the hardest question, and you, I'm not sure if you even got an answer. Okay, we've established we've got a major problem. What are we going to do about it? What's the solutions? Okay. We're talking about solutions. Well, we're dealing with a complex problem, as I said, a complex socio-technical problem which is just a fancy way of saying there's people and there's technology all coming together in all sorts of unfortunate ways. And so for every complex problem, there is an answer that is clear, that is simple and wrong. And that is a wonderful quote from a bloke called H.L. Mencken, who was an author from Canada a while back in the uh, mid-1900s. But anyway, when I originally started off doing my PAC, I was going to go, right, I'm going to come up with some solutions because everyone loves solutions. And I have, but they're not specific, simple solutions. What they are is intervention pathways. So there's about, like I said, there's 55 different reasons why this is happening. And I was able to differentiate all of those 55 into one of three categories and identify the main issues. I won't go into how, but, you know, it's, it's basically to do with what are the, the, the issues that are actually specifically associated with the introduction of stormwater control measures. And then by looking at my data and seeing where, where people were or some of the other respondents tended to link things together, I looked at that. And I also used my grounded theory process in order to identify some overarching issues and identify three overarching or three intervention pathways. The first one was capacity building, no surprises there. The second one was dealing with this invisibility issue, which really is crucial. The fact that these things are invisible and what to do about it. And the third one, which links the other two, is policy inertia. And that is that state gov- mostly state government policy, local government comes under the jurisdiction of state government. Now, in place, Victoria, where I did it, they've done some wonderful things. They're leading the pack. But sadly, their policy in driving the uptake of urban or sustainable stormwater management has got behind the eight ball. And they now need to shift that policy away from focusing on construction mm. and putting effort into one, building, helping communities of practice like the Stormwater Industry Association start normalizing things by building guidelines and standards that aren't niche standards and guidelines but are available in places that engineers normally find things, like the Australian Standards and through the Institute of Public um, Engineering, uh, uh, Engineering Works Australasia, through them. And so that's called normalisation. And the reality is, I know a lot of people like to think we can do this through community engagement, you still need to, but unless you're willing to do some regulative measures 
to counteract the thousands of years of practice and take away that competitive advantage from conventional practices and bring in some regulation to drive the maintenance of these things and their proper construction, then at best we can hope is that some councils will take them up and the rest of them just won't. Mm. And that's where the story will end unless we take those measures. Yeah, that's very interesting, yeah. So in terms of the, in terms of the capacity building, we should put a shout-out to one of the key initiatives that Storm in New South Wales have actually recently, literally in the last couple of weeks, have initiated is they've recently released the maintenance guidelines for water sensitive urban design assets and it's anticipated that by the end of the year that will be a national standard. So that provides clear, definitive and very expert prepared guidance in relation to the appropriate maintenance and management of stormwater treatment assets. And that, that's a fantastic resource for anyone in this space. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Andrew, you'll also be familiar with the Zero Littered Ocean policy paper that's been prepared by Storm New South Wales and Ocean Protect, which is yes. for a bunch of initiatives, including a national accredited training program for the condition assessment and management of stormwater treatment assets. A key thing is just addressing the legacy that all councils across Australia are dealing with. They've got a whole bunch of assets, but they just don't know where they are and they don't have the resources currently to actually properly maintain them. So it does need an injection of cash from probably federal and state government to actually help council at least uh, at least initially to get their sort of uh, um, act together. Yeah, and this has been done in other countries. It's not new. Mm. We're not doing it here. And until it's until those sorts of things are done, then I think we've probably reached this, you know, the pinnacle of what we can achieve without those sort of interventions in, in reality. You know, unless something radically changes with what we're doing, we're, we're going to continue on this path. And that's such important research is actually proving that point. Fancy term for it is lock-in, where you get partial adoption but not complete and it just doesn't go anywhere. Mm. And that's, that, that's actually not uncommon with these sorts of... Well, what other industries have gone through the same thing? So um, lock-in is like, I think the, the best one is, you know, you get partial in terms of energy. You get some people taking up green energy in other countries not. And that's what you call lock-in, where some, some take it up and others don't, but it doesn't really reach its potential because for a range of reasons that are often but, not but, to do but with Sorry, but that's, sorry, that's not similar to this. This is, um, we, we, you know, this is not providing an alternative energy source. This is stopping hazardous waste entering our creeks. Well, no, no, but it's, it's what they call sustainable innovations, right? So sustainable innovations are those sorts of innovations that come along. They don't 
produce something new. Like an iPhone produced a new, whole new way of doing things, right? It was new. Your, your mobile phone, we'll just call it the mobile phone. That completely, that was a new thing. But these sort of interventions, the, you know, the alternative energy sources, they're not pr- providing uh, a new way of doing energy. They're just replacing the process that was causing the problem in the first instance. But everyone's still turning the Everyone's still the getting way. their energy. So they're they like, experience cool. it the yeah. same way. Yeah. So it's not, uh, like I said, it's not a demand-driven thing because it's a new thing that you can do. It's, re- it's actually just doing the same thing as the old way but in a way that's less destructive. Yeah, cool. No, 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 I totally understand that, and thank you for explaining it that way. But, again, it goes back to, and this is why we're on this bloody podcast, it goes back to just let's show the people what we do. I thought of something before. How about we get every practitioner in the store industry and people that care to go out and, and simultaneously on a day, let's call it Stormwater Day, go and take a photo on the day of an asset. You'd, you'd get hundreds of, you know, let's get a 1,000 people to go out Pop a top of a GPT and take a photo, you know. <laughs> yeah, but 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 that's what it takes, you know. Ocean Protect, we 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 try and 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 show people as much as we can, and you know, from a social media point of view, it's funny what works and what doesn't, you know, or what you get more clicks on, you know. We, when you're showing people the data, like we've we've caught this many, you know, cigarette butts and this and that, and if something's not quite right, five hundred people will look at it. But if the light's coming down from here and this is, you know, and it's a bit of a different one, then you might get five or 6,000 people having a view on it. But it's very visual. You know, I, I could get up and say, hey, I'll introduce Brad Dalrymple and Andrew Thomas. They're going to do a presentation on a water sense of urban design. No one will click on it. If I show the McDonald's wrappers in a pit basket, people go, oh, my God, what? The McDonald's wrapper? You know, so we need to become rock stars. And I know that's music to Brad's ears, but... As an industry. A really yeah. good point, Jeremy. I do get the feeling that we've become a little bit too conservative, not, not just stormwater in New South Wales, but the people who get into jobs, whether it's they go into state government, whether they go into you know, organisations like Ocean Protect or whether they go into academia, we've become sort of afraid to stand up and say, yeah, no, yeah, no. And state government's a bit different because they have obligations to their minister and things like that, so that's a bit different. But I do feel that, that it's come to a point where organisations, I think the UNSW is doing it through us, is getting involved in it. But I'd like to see more others stand up and say, look, we really need to get out in front of people's faces and say, you know, this can't keep going on. Yeah. And that's the same. Scientists need to do that. And, and to be honest, that's how this, is sort of, this whole podcast and some of our other sort of Ocean Protect initiatives have come about. In the absence of anyone else standing up and calling this stuff out, it's literally been up to Jeremy and myself. Yeah, I, well, that's well, and, and all our guests, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and all our guests. Yeah. Like, uh, and look, your, your 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 insights have been wonderful. But I think I think I still maintain the whole waterway and ocean plastic pollution problem is is one that uh, we really can solve quite readily. And I, I still really like the idea of using this one as a template. This problem as a template to essentially solve other environmental problems. And I think fundamentally a key one is actually appropriately uh, establishing the science behind this issue. And that's why I think you, the research this, that's underpinning what we're talking about, uh, including your PhD, is absolutely fundamentally important. It's not really that valuable for people to come out in the industry and say, you know what, I think 
these assets aren't getting maintained properly. You know, there's one down the road or there's one I'm aware of. We need a real good data set. And that's essentially what the first part of your thesis actually has really provided in a major way, particularly in Victoria. So for you to come out and say, I'll pick the nine best councils that I can think of and even those guys aren't appropriately maintaining their assets. And as a result, there's a whole bunch of pollution, a whole bunch of hazardous waste knowingly being released to our waterways. Mm. Okay, that, that data is fundamentally important. Then you move on, okay, why is that the case? Try to get a better understanding of the, of the, of the cause of that problem so, so that we can actually appropriately solve that. And that, to my mind, is a real great template to then, once we solve this ocean plastic problem, and I know we will, We'll move on to other ones. Well, the methods that I used, and that's what what really surprised me, because I had no idea about these methods when I first started my PhD. I had to had to work them out, and some of them I, you know, put, the ground theory method has existed since the nineteen sixties, but the rest of the that I applied was done, as far as I can tell, only in my PhD. But you you could apply it. To, you're quite right. You could apply the same method to any problem, any chronic, complex socio technical problem. I mean, even beyond the environment, you could do it with education, policing, whatever. Mm. Uh, it's that method. You don't have to be a subject matter expert to use my method because your data source are the experts. You just need to understand how the method works. And, and, and that, and that comes back to data. And, yeah. and going to Brad's point and to your yeah. point, Andrew, look, we've got a friend of ours right now and hopefully she knows who she is. She's crunching some data. Shout out to Britta. We need more people crunching data and then we need more people, and I hate to say it, like Brad and I, telling the story. Andrew, storm in New South Wales, storm in Victoria, storm in Queensland. We need to get the data and then, you know, convey it in a way which everyone understands. And right now the data we're getting is showing a LinkedIn um, clip of stuff we catch in one gully pit in Western Sydney and everyone going, wow. You know, so if we get the good data behind it, tell a good story. I'm with Brad. I'm, I'm confident we can... You know, solve this solve this problem. It's easily solved. And what's next? We probably need to land this plane, maybe. Um, look, it's been a lively chat. I, I, I was nervous as to where this chat may have gone. But we've done well to at least get mostly to the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the content of the PhD. Andrew, I, I haven't had a chance to read your PhD yet, but I'm sure it's that. I've, I've obviously sat through one of your presentations, which has given a very quick overview of it. Obviously, I've had this podcast. It's an incredible body of work. I think it's a really impressive PhD. Obviously, a lot of work's been put into it, and I think you've, you've uh, tackled and appropriately answered some really key questions that our industry has been desperate for answers to. So well done. And I, uh, I, I really, if your PhD reviewers don't give you a, a good mark or at least a pass, I'll come looking for them. Don't because I might need that. <laughs> and, mate, geez, I uh, I guess I'm lucky enough to call you a friend. Uh, for, for our listeners out there who, who haven't gone through a PhD, this guy uh, has put his heart and soul into a subject matter that is very close to our industry. He he lives and breathes it. The effort, the oh, – just the commitment to actually knock something like this over because – you know, uh, it's two uh, very different concepts. You know, engineering and sociology. Like, it's it's like Brad and I. You you, you never put them together, and then to try and understand that, it, it's it's huge. So I know the personal commitment that you make to our stormwater industry of, of New South Wales, the time and effort you put in behind it, and then uh, on top of that, to come and sit and have a chat with us and and share some really really insightful 
stuff. And, and look, mate, I'll, I'll just be more blunt. If you don't become a doctor, uh, Brad's going to shave his hair. <laughs> never, never. But uh, I guess, I guess post PhD, Andrew, what's the plan? And I guess we should ask if people are keen to get in contact with you. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm in, I'm in that uh, in what they call PhD purgatory, where not only do you not know you, you've you've submitted, but you haven't passed, so you're feeling good, but you don't know whether you should. Also, I uh, spent, you know, I, I knew what I was doing for five years, and now I'm sort of floating around and trying to find uh, where I belong again in the real world. So. What Andrew's trying to say is basically he is open to new opportunities around Australia, around the world. I don't know what your current work situation is, but I know that you need to get that brain of yours working. So if someone wants to reach out to you, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, uh, well, I can uh, give you my email address or I can give you my phone number, but I don't know if it's... I reckon, I don't know what that thing you want to give out phone numbers on a podcast, Andrew, just, just for the record. Brad, Brad tried it, it didn't work very well. <laughs> but uh, obviously people can contact you via LinkedIn, probably is their best option. Yeah, LinkedIn, also, there's still more to New South Wales or even Asian Tech, God forbid. Yeah, look, oh. look, if someone even just replies back to this, we'll put you through. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much for, for coming on our little show. It's people like you that... Uh, that people listen into. It's it's not Brad and I. It's uh it, it's you. So thanks very much for taking the time. That's that's wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Be good. Shake it back. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.